Hey everybody, before we get started, I have some great news to announce to you. We have a new partner with the show. We are now partnering with Stanley Customs. You find them on Instagram. Stanley Customs makes these amazing athletic figurines. They are so awesome. You need to check them out on Instagram, Stanley underscore Customs on Instagram. Right now, our listeners will get 15% off any of your orders with Stanley Customs and If you're an athlete or any guest who interviews with the show, we have an even better discount for you. So if you're thinking, I'm interested in the show, I have some stories to tell, maybe I'll join. Also, maybe I want one of these Stanley Custom figurines. Now's your time. Shoot us a message, be a guest on the show, and get an even better discount with Stanley Custom. So go and check them out on Instagram, Stanley underscore Customs, and check out what these guys have done. It is awesome. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Globally Ballin' Podcast, a product of the Globally Ballin' Podcast Network. We have a fantastic interview for you today, so sit back and enjoy, and thank you all for joining us one more time. Here's the music, I gotta let you go. Finish the game with a broken hand. Yeah, finish the game with... I'm Rio, the Vasil Silver Medalist, and Asian... Games 2018 gold medalist. Young man, how do you use a celebrity for good? You know, uh, up until that point, most of us as, as athletes were taught on it, use a celebrity to manipulate, to get a girl, to get famous, to get whatever it is. We're hours away from kind of the near hospital. He ended up losing his leg over. I don't think a lot of people know the opportunities there are actually to play overseas, especially in the women's category actually broke my neck. I was paralyzed from the waist down and I was never supposed to walk again, much less be able to play football again. Had a couple guys get robbed at gunpoint um, and one of them was just like, yeah, get me out. At the same time, there are some who would still keep their nine to five jobs because the pay for being an athlete isn't enough. Don't complain when we look like idiots abroad in these big tournaments. What league, your country gave you the best pay contract-wise? Probably Turkey my last season. Okay. Hey everybody, welcome back. This episode is with Carlos Mirabao. And if you put the pieces together, either by the title or the picture, you know that this is a baseball episode, our first one. And in the words of Ranch Wilder, it's about time. We're happy to finally have some baseball stories for you. Carlos is is gonna be a very great resource for you young baseball players and fans because he's going to introduce you maybe some of you to a world you may have known nothing about before this and this baseball outside of the united states specifically carlos is going to talk about his experiences in japan and taiwan also talking about baseball in south korea He's also going to give you great insight on the journey of a minor leaguer. He was obviously a minor league baseball player fighting to get to the big leagues, and he had a couple stints that were super close, and I want to spoil it for you. I'm going to, he'll get into all that good stuff. There's a lot of good, really valuable, practical stuff for you as well, athletes out there. He's going to talk contracts. He's going to talk guarantees. He's going to talk clauses that allow you to leave or clauses allow you not to leave, how the agent fits in. He gives a lot of great technical stuff, which makes sense 
when we find out now that he helps represent players and he he's kind of in that world now and he also has a great program where he helps baseball players who spent time in in japan kind of reconnect with their experiences in japan in a variety of different ways so carlos is a fantastic interview i really hope you enjoy it he's going to do a great job at introducing the new topic when it comes to the podcast at least of baseball and we're going to continue to get more and more uh, baseball with all of our other topics that we do but we're just happy we finally got one carlos is going to start us off strong on the topic of global baseball so enjoy our interview this week with carlos mirabal Hey everybody, this episode is brought to you by an additional sponsor. We are now also brought to you by Creating Young Minds. Creating Young Minds is a nonprofit out of Louisville, Texas, right outside of Dallas. You may remember we've had an episode in the past with the founders of Creating Young Minds, Dr. Shira Ackerman and Coach Mathis Crowder. Creating Young Minds strives to help young men achieve success in their life where they may not have otherwise achieved that success. One way they do this is through their new basketball team. The Louisville Yellow Jackets, affiliated with Creating Young Minds, play in TBL, the Basketball League, and through a combination of their nonprofit as well as their basketball team, Creating Young Minds and the Louisville Yellow Jackets are doing their best to bring the European model of basketball to the United States. That is Creating Young Minds. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, basically everywhere. Find Creating Young Minds, check them out, see what they're all about. And when the TBL League rolls around once again, keep an eye out for the Louisville Yellow Jackets. Thank you. Hello. Hello, is this Carlos? Yes. Carlos, how are you? Good. All right, so Carlos, to start off, we'll have you just introduce who you are and then what you do. My name is Carlos Mirabal. I was a professional baseball player for many years. Overseas, I spent a little over 10 years total in Taiwan, uh, Japan, Germany. And currently, I co-founded the Japan Retired Foreign Players Association. And I also work as uh, more of like a recruiter to find all the players who have played in the past uh, in Japan and try to get them involved in, in what we're trying to do to bring them more attention for their past play while they were in Japan. So you spent some time playing, sounds mostly in Asia, a little time in Europe. Mm -hmm. Okay, so where did you start off? Where did your baseball career start? Well, when I, uh, I, I left college, I didn't do well academically in college, so I went to Puerto Rico and at that time played in the amateur leagues, which were very highly scouted. I mean, I pitched briefly. Carlos Beltran was his father was playing the league. Carlos Beltran was a young kid, and he just got signed. Played a couple games over there in that league, and, and got signed. You know, go play in the United States, and that's where I started. And I, I got signed with the minor league contract with the New York Yankees from there for a single A. And then I got injured, and then I kicked around. I I recovered in independent ball, which was just starting at that time, independent baseball. And then I kicked overseas. I went to Taiwan for three years. And after my injury with the Yankees, uh, Willie Randolph, is a good friend of mine, told me, you know, hey, go overseas and play. Try to go from Taiwan to Japan. And when you get to Japan, you know, you do well. Hopefully you kind of, that'll be my route to come back to play in the United States. So it took me three years playing in Taiwan to jump over to Japan. And then when I jumped over to Japan, after my first year in Japan, I actually got offered a guaranteed major league contract from the Colorado Rockies but I couldn't get out of my contract in Japan. And I didn't have an agent 
at the time that I got to Japan, so I did everything myself. So it was a one-year contract that I had, but I didn't know foreign players were bound by their reserve clause, which we found out later that they are. So it would have taken me nine years to become a free agent unless they put me on a posting system. And the Japan team didn't let me out of my contract. They said I was too good and they didn't want me to go to the United States and play because they wanted me to stay with them. Okay, so there's a ton of really important information we got to unpack here real quick. So first off, you were advised to go Taiwan first and then Japan. So it sounds clear that there was a known hierarchy, at least people in the baseball community, of what leagues to hit if you wanted to make your way back to the U.S., correct? Well, there is. Uh, everybody in baseball kind of knows the levels of overseas play. And at that particular time, when I was I rehabbed my elbow in independent ball, I had an opportunity to go to winter baseball in Puerto Rico or go to Taiwan. And Taiwan was having workouts where they brought over several guys for six weeks, like six weeks for us to play to see if that maybe the following year we can get a contract. So after discussions with Willie Randolph, who, you know, obviously knows at that time I was young, he knows more than I do. He was basically saying, if I go to winter baseball in Puerto Rico, everybody's still fresh on my elbow. If I don't really impress or do above, way above average, nobody's gonna give me a chance. If I go to Taiwan, everybody forgets about me. Think of it as like my minor league. If I go to Taiwan and develop, try to jump to Japan, because once you get to Japan, all the major league teams have working agreements with teams over there and every major league team gets reports on all the players. So if I'm able to do that, go from Taiwan to Japan and do well, then I have that opportunity to come back to the United States. But, but now a couple years ago would have gone by and I could come back here at a higher level. Okay. And that was that was the plan. Okay. And about what year was that when you went to Taiwan? 1997. Okay. And are you familiar then with what you would consider to be kind of the top tier leagues in that area today? Is it still kind of Japan still on top with the Taiwan yes. right? Okay. Japan Japan would be considered number one. Japan is Japan's NPB, Nippon Professional Baseball, at the highest level over there is, is basically considered like the Major League Baseball here. Okay. Um, that's where you get the guys Ichiro's and, and all of those guys coming over. So that's the number one baseball in Asia. Korea, uh, Korea's Major Leagues would be considered number two, and then Taiwan's Major Leagues would be considered number three. Okay. And because, yeah, the reason I asked is because Korea didn't jump in. And I know this is a little bit ago, and I thought maybe they might be higher up now. So, okay. So you have Korea kind of in that two spot, at least when it comes to the yes. Asian baseball. Yes, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of great ball players in Korea. Japan is definitely number one. If, if you ever watch them play or, or know anything about the baseball that's played overseas, is you can basically take a whole team from Japan, put them in any division here in the United States, and they'll probably make the playoffs every year really as a, as a team okay as a team because they're playing their style of baseball they're pitching their style they're doing everything that that they do as a team basically what you see in the world baseball classic you know in team japan you know they won the first one and and how they perform as, as a national team those are the because they play their style of baseball bringing individuals over is a little tricky it's a little difficult depending on who they are you know, the Darvish, Otani, Daisuke Matsuzaka, Ichiro's, those guys can come over because they're, they're elite players, but they can they can make the adjustments. Some of the Japanese players that are great ball players just couldn't adjust to the style of baseball here. And that's why I say as a team, they can perform. Individuals, it's, it's just a little different style. What are some of those major style differences that you can speak to? In Japan, you know, we, we have a saying over here lately on, on how baseball has taken a turn is I would say if you had to relate it to anything over here in the United States, 
think of it as playoff baseball. During the regular season here in the United States, basically guys are trying to hit home runs. You see a lot of strikeouts. You don't really see stolen bases. You get to the playoffs here in the United States and Major League Baseball, and now all of a sudden guys are trying to bunk guys over. They're hitting and running, stealing bases, and doing things that you, you do in baseball. So I always compare Japan as that. They're going to bunt guys over. They actually honor the guy that has the most sacrificed bunts. Really? They're going to steal. Everybody runs over there. They're going to steal. So the stolen base, the bunting, the sacrifice bunting, trying to bunt for a hit, hitting runs where they hit behind the runners. They do all of those things that they used to kind of do over here. They just don't really do them as much anymore. The style has changed. So as a pitcher, when you're playing in Japan, you have to be, you have to know how to pitch out of the stretch position because they're going to steal on you if you don't, if you're not quick to the plate. Mm, interesting. So would you say as impartial as you could be as a fan, would you argue that um, mid-season baseball in Japan is more interesting and entertaining to watch or not? Absolutely. Uh, baseball in Japan is a lot more interesting to watch because there's more action that's happening. Guy gets on first base, there's a chance he's going to steal. So you're going to have more action going on. If they sacrifice bottom over, you know, they're trying to hit, put the ball in play. They, you know, whether it's on the ground, in the air, however it is, they're trying to put it in play. So you're going to see more action driven in the game. They still can hit the long ball. You still got guys that over there can crush the ball. The ball's a little more juiced than it is over here, so it, it shoots like a golf ball. So, and that's that's another thing that you have to you know understand while you're playing over there is you can't relax for a second because as soon as you think that guy on first is going to steal, they're going to do a hit and run. You make a mistake, the guy can still hit a home run. So that's why I would say it's a lot more exciting for, for the baseball fan because you're going to see more more action on the field, more situations that come up and, and just what we call baseball, you know? So obviously we see it in the U.S. with athletes of big sports here are celebrities. But even when we look on our show, we look at leagues all around the world. And when you get the top sport in a different country, these players are often well known. And so is this the case with baseball in Taiwan and Japan? Are these athletes going to be well known wherever they go? Oh, no, absolutely. You're, you're, you know, when I was in Taiwan and this was, this was really before social media. So you were, you were like a rock star. Everywhere you went, people know who you were. And in Japan, it's the same thing. You're, you're, you're a rock star. You go to the airports, people are waiting there for autographs. You know, you get to your team hotel sometimes two o'clock in the morning, people are waiting outside the hotel for autographs. Then I want to say toward the end of my part in Japan as a, as a player, player because I did go back to coach last year toward the end but as a player that's when the social media really started to come out and and even today you know it's been a while since I've played in Japan and it's you know I'm just I'm I'm as big as I ever was because of social media and when I make trips to go back there you know if I just put anywhere on Twitter like oh I'll see you guys in Japan or whatever people wait at the airport really uh, you know they'll wait at the airport for you to sign autographs you know if they find out what hotel you're at they're waiting in the lobby for autographs when you come down and at the same time they're very respectful when they do it so they're, they're very appreciative of it as well so you know they're not rude about anything like that so you know but they'll wait at the hotel lobby for hours until you just come down to go get something to eat or something just because they want autographs pictures something baseball in japan is on my list of you know, the professional leagues that i want to see at least outside the united states hands down and so that definitely sways me even more to that case oh you you would love you would love a game anybody when you when you go to a baseball game in japan it's like a show um the the way they cheer for the for the fans 
fans it's um so like if if you're you know your team is on in the right side dugout whether you're home or away it depends on where you're playing all of your fans will be in the outfield on the behind the right fielder they play music they they bang drums and trumpets they sing songs for the players they it, it's and they're all in sync and then as soon as um and while you're while you're hitting they're doing that and then when you're done with three outs and you take the field and then the team that's the other team that's on third base side their fans are in the left field behind the left fielder the fans for us will sit down and then the left field fans will take over because their team is hitting and it's you know three outs it they sit down and then our fans get up while we hit and it's it's unreal and some people i i, I remember when i was there the chibalote marines uh fans that would perform really while you're hitting or while the the team is hitting because i was with the nippon ham fighters i would sit there in the dugout because they would get there early when when the, the gates opened up so if i was you know finished with our batting practice i would sit in the dugout and watch them rehearse because they practice while their team was taking bp it's it's unreal it's amazing it is absolutely amazing to watch so you were a pitcher there and you mentioned how um they're respectful in the way they kind of chat with you and everything, but they're really passionate about it. What about when you're the bad guy? What about when you go out and throw and you just blow it big time? I, does that change it? Like here, obviously, you know, it can get ugly fast and we try to tamper that down, but it can. What does it look like when you're the bad guy in Japan? I guess I would answer that as saying you're not the bad guy. You know, if you go out there and you blow a save as a pitcher or you don't pitch well and you come out of the game, your fans are still very respectful. They're they're more like, hey, don't worry about it. Go get them next time. You know, it's it's really amazing, you know, the support that they have for their players. They they won't boo, they won't I mean the other team fans might boo, sure. but your your fans don't they won't boo, they won't they they, they think of it as more as respect. You know, you you're a high level baseball player and they're professional baseball MLB which is the NPB, I mean, they're, they're, it's just an honor to be at that level. So if you don't perform, you'll have fans that say, hey, don't worry about it. Go get them next time. You know, they'll, they'll still cheer you on because they know next time you get out there, they want you to do good. So you don't really become the bad guy. I mean, you you might be, you know, even, even the other team fans, you're not really the bad guy. I mean, occasionally you'll get some people booing or something like that occasionally, but that's during the game. Even after the game, the other fans will, you know, they'll still want to take pictures with you, say autograph. They don't really, they don't do things where they say, negative statements towards you or anything like that it's really it's really amazing how they do that hmm. I, I want to backpedal a little bit when you're talking about your you were gonna go back now you might have to walk me through it again you were gonna go back and play here but you were stopped by a contract is that what you were saying yeah so what happened was so i wound up spending three years in taiwan and then i got to japan i got to japan as a closer so in taiwan i was a starter for two years and did some relief work and then my third year in Taiwan, I was a, a, a closer with a couple spot starts. So it turned out that the Nippon Ham Fighters needed a closer and, and I was impressive enough that they wanted me um, as opposed to anybody who was currently in the big leagues. Even though they had their eye on a, a few guys that they wanted, they chose me and I, I did very well. I had a really good year. I pitched great. We didn't win a lot of games, so I didn't have many save opportunities. I think I was, I don't remember statistics overall, but I, I think I only had like 18 saves and like 20 chances or something like that, or 19 saves and 21 chances where I only, I only blew like two saves, but there just wasn't many opportunities. And, but the thing is that, you know, I would, I would still come in and try to get some work and stuff like that. And, and all the major league teams, I didn't have an agent when I got there. So I did the contract myself while I was there pitching against you know, uh, Osaka Buffaloes and one of their big time hitters was Carl 
uh, Tuffy Rhodes, his agent was in town and his agent uh, also represented uh, a hitter on our team, Nigel Wilson. And that's the only two guys that he had in Japan. So it just turned out he was there for a three game series and against the Buffalo so he could meet with those two guys. And um, and I did, I came in the game. And as soon as I came in the game, he saw me pitching and was like, holy, you know, it, he just got blown away. He was like, who is this guy? I don't know who he is. Because yeah. when I had started my career, it was a single A contract with the Yankees and I got hurt right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I didn't really have anything based here. So, and I was married at the time. My wife goes, oh, that's my husband, Carlos. And he's like, well, well who is he? I don't know. I don't know anything about him. So, well, he, he got hurt when he first started with the Yankees. Obviously, he was a prospect with the Yankees, but he got hurt. It wasn't Tommy John. It was uh, ulnaropathy, but he, they wound up releasing him. He had surgery, missed the season. So we played a year independent ball to get healthy. We went to Taiwan and we worked away from Taiwan by ourselves and got here to Japan. He goes, wait a minute. He goes, I don't believe that. And he's like, he's like, yeah, that's our story. So he was like, nobody comes to Japan unless you played in the big leagues or triple A. And he's like, no, that's how we did it. And they gave him a chance. And, and he goes, okay. So the, the story is amazing how he got here. He goes, but he's doing well here. It's not like he got here and they, and he's not doing well. He's he's one of the elite closers right now. And he said, well, and my wife told him, said, well, he always believed he can pitch. And Willie Randolph had advised us that, you know, if we jumped to Taiwan, we could try to jump to Japan. And so we met, he was like, well, you guys go to breakfast with me. <laughs> so we wound up, yeah. So the next morning we went to breakfast and we signed him as an agent. And then as soon as we signed him as an agent and he announced to all the major league teams that he's representing me, I want to say 20 different teams wanted to talk to him. So um, he was like, he looked at my contract. It was, there was, you know, it was just a one year deal. He didn't even know about the reserve clause either in Japan because they've never really stopped a foreign player from coming back to the United States. So like if a foreign player is over there and says, hey, you know, I pitched three years, but I want to go back to the United States. All the teams have pretty much said, yes, you can go back. So, you know, he met with some teams and, and you know, he was with the Rockies and the GM. I can't remember his name at the time, but he was like, hey, you got anybody? He's like, I got a guy in Japan right now. And the Rockies said, well, we have our scout camp blasting game in Japan right now. So I remember being on the field and we we're playing the Oryx blue wave at the time and uh, a guy named Troy Neal came up to me in the outfield when I was just shagging shagging balls and he was like Carlos come here I never met him before I know he played in the big leagues and he was like hey he goes there's a guy Ken Blassingame from the Rockies here he's a good friend of mine he's coming here specifically to see you play so he goes if you get in the games he goes just throw the ball you know just let it go so I was all pumped up and I was all ready because um, I know scouts watch but you know, I didn't know anybody who was specifically there for me. Sure. So it just turned out I got in that game and I was throwing 95, 96, touching, touching 97. All right. It's the hardest I've ever thrown because I'm always, I'm always that 90 to 94 guy with movement. Okay. Because I always do like a two seam or what we call a shoot though, which a two seamer that runs or a sinker. And then when I threw my four seam, it was like a 94, 95 in that area. And that day I, I knew he was there. I could have basically stayed on the mound and told you I was throwing a fastball and I was just blowing people away. And uh, right after that game, he, he came up to, you know, we be, actually came friends at that point, uh, from that point. And, you know, he was like, hey, he goes, you can pitch. And I was like, well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And then he came back again. He actually stayed in our apartment in Tokyo and we were going over, you know, baseball and, you know, what they're looking for and things like that. And then next thing I know, when the year finished in Japan, uh, the Rockies and my agent worked out a deal. They gave me three years and then they added three more option years for the team. So it was like a total of like six years. And okay. they literally at that time it was, you know, they literally were, were faxing, you know, in emailing it. Like I said, it's a little different. And I, I remember looking at the fax and um, the Rockies said, 
you're on the opening day roster, prepare yourself, you know, for what you need to do. Because we're, you know, we're concerned, like, you know, what if I go back and, you know, Joe Schmo signs for, you know, four million, sure. five million, and they, and they actually wrote, guaranteed major league contract you're on an opening day roster prepare you know this and that so they basically said no you're in the you're in the big leagues and uh, i remember right before that contract i went to the winter meetings to meet with them and they were doing the mike hampton deal and the assistant gm uh burns i believe his name was josh burns barnes burns he came out of the meeting and he you know he was like no you know hey we got all the video on you our scouts this 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 i mean we spoke for a little bit everything was great and then right after then is when they made the offer so i was like all right great we're gonna be a rocky and uh, so then he, my agent called the team in Japan and they said, no, we're not releasing them. He explained the reserve clause, MLB Players Union, the, the Rockies, everybody basically looked at all the agreements that they have with Japan. And they said, listen, you can't do anything. And they said, if you if you challenge it and say, I'm not going back because of our agreements, we can't honor your contract here in the United States. You're still you're still under the reserve clause from them. So I couldn't I couldn't get out. And uh, so then we, you know. Obviously, I was I was shocked. I remember my agent called me. It was late at night one day. He's like, I need you to sit down. I was like, what? He's like, because I can't get you out of your contract. So he explained it to me. I was like, so I even called um, I even called the fighters myself. And I spoke to the, at the time, he was the head interpreter, uh, Toshi Shimada. And he wound up becoming like the president of baseball operations later. And he told me, he said, Carlos, he goes, we, we don't want you to go. You're too good. He goes, you know, we just, we, we want you to stay with us. And uh, so they, they weren't gonna let me out of my contract. So then from there with my new agent, he, um, he got me a two-year deal from that point, which was at that point for foreign players was kind of rare. Two year in to Japan get, to stay in Japan. Yes, okay. and to, yes, to stay in Japan. But he got in the language in the contract, he got the Japan team to say that he can, I can be allowed to test the free agent market in America only. And if I see something I like, I can choose to leave Japan to come to America. But if I decide to stay in Japan, I'm not free. I'm still bound by the reserve clause and I'm still with the Nippon Ham Fighters. So I said, okay, that's great. And then, you know, flash forward, you know, I, I, I was a closer for one more year. And then because we didn't win a lot of games, they said, we want to turn you into a starter. So I said, okay. So they knew my past history was starting. And so I turned into a starter. And then at the end of the year, I had a private workout in the United States. I mean, all the scouts saw me anyway, but I mean, so imagine me, we went to Tampa, my agent knew, I don't even know what college it was. It was like some college down there. He basically arranged it with the coach um, all the scouts were going to meet there, just me on the mound with the college catcher throwing, and then that's it. So he put like a whole press junket together. And when I got down there, the Atlanta Braves guy, he's president of baseball operations with Atlanta, he stayed in his car. So when I pulled up, he got out of his car and he sat there and said, hey, he goes, he goes, I don't want you to go over to the field. He goes, I've seen you play in Japan. He goes, I want you to sign with us. And I said, well, he goes, I'll give you, I'll give you 750000 a year to sign with us. Without right even now. showing off. He goes, don't even walk over to the field. <laughs> and and I told him, I said, if you can guarantee me that I'll be on the in the big leagues, on the big league team and put it in writing that I'm guaranteed, I said, I'll sign it right now. I said, we don't even have to walk over there. And he, and, you know, he was like, well, I can't guarantee it, you know, because that, you know, he started giving me excuses. I said, well, then I have to go over there. I said, the Rockies yeah. guaranteed me you know three years ago i said obviously it's a different story now you know everything can change you know whether it's still there or not this is the first time i'm pretty much free so he was like nine hundred don't go over there and i said it's the guarantee that i care about more than the money he goes i'll give you a million dollars you don't walk over there so at this point could he guarantee the money just not the start is that what he's saying or he can't even guarantee the million yet really 
Well, he he wasn't going to guarantee anything. And, you know, when in the big leagues, if, you know, your contract is not guaranteed, you're not on a 40-man roster, things like that, what will happen is when you're in the big leagues, you're making one salary. When you go to AAA, you're making a different salary. Okay. Um, You know what I mean? So by having the guarantee that I'll be in the big leagues, even if I get sent down to AAA, I'm still making big league money. Mm. Okay. You know, so so they're not going to look at me, you know, because of the money, you know, where they get another free agent that signs for whatever, you know, because the guy that signed and he offers me a million, but the guy that signed for four million, you know, the four million guy is going to get the money, you know, get the job. Yeah. But the thing is that with me being guaranteed, I can be guaranteed at a million at the big leagues, the four four million guy can go down to the minor leagues and make 10 grand a month, you know, so that's like the business part of it. And um, so so I, I said, well, I can't unless you guarantee it. So I walked over, I, I did my my pitching and in front of I mean, some team sent two or three guys down. Now, the Yankees, they had been interested in me because they knew when I got hurt, they kind of just kept track. They, they watched me in independent ball. Yeah. They watched me in Taiwan. They watched me in Japan. Now that I'm available, even though after, after the first year, even though the Rockies guaranteed it, the Yankees offered me, a con- I, I want to say like 19 different teams offered me contracts, but the Rockies would only want to guarantee it. So that's the one that we wanted. So then at this point, the Yankees sent three office guys down and, and we spoke to them after and they said, you know, no, we, we remember you from, from when we first had you and, and how you developed. You basically, you just went through your whole minor leagues you know taiwan and now japan he was like we want you in the bullpen as you know as, as a setup guy for mariano oh. and at, it goes and at the same time we know you could spot start if somebody gets hurt and if mariano gets hurt we know you can step in and be a closer <laughs> so i mean that that's what they spoke to me about i want to say 18 different teams offered me contracts from that workout but they didn't nobody wanted to guarantee it and the rockies took the guarantee away because they had guaranteed mike hampton and but now now you're talking about a guarantee me which total contract might have been i mean i'm it was like in the seven point five million dollar range but mike hampton was like i think like 150 million like his was a lot more money but the rockies put restraints on the gms about guaranteeing the money you know what i mean yeah so so that's that's kind of how how it turned out and then flash forward i stayed in japan and then 2004 i had a great you know second half as a starter 2003 i had won 16 games as a starter i we made the playoffs in 2004 under the manager trey hillman and and i got our only playoff win even though we lost in the first round and then from there the team in japan had an option year on me and i didn't even entertain the united states i said you know what this is where i want to be and i said yes flash forward 2005 I had great spring training. I was opening day starter for the second time, which at that point was rare for a foreign pitcher to be an opening day starter at all. And I was the first foreign pitcher to be an opening day starter for the Nippon Ham Fighters in their whole history. And I believe since then they since then they've only, since now they've only had one other foreign player that has started opening day wow. after me. And um, yeah, so I did really good, but then I got I wound up getting hurt, my shoulder went. And then uh, it was the last year of my contract which in hindsight with my agent after that 2004 season even though we picked up the option because i had such a great year and with the playoff win we should have you know either renegotiated that or said let's add on two or three more years and i I could have finished my career in japan sure but after my surgery uh for dr andrew i rehabbed i did you know i did everything i needed to i played an independent ball again you know a year a year and a week later i was back on the mound and then 2007 i went uh i signed with the houston astros um, I signed what they call a 510 contract. 500,000 was my big league contract. 10,000 a month was my AAA contract. Remember I explained that to you before, what happens when, you, when no. you're in the big leagues and get sent down. And then I went to spring training. I made it to the last day. I, I pitched against Detroit. And, and then all of a sudden it was, 
you know, they just didn't feel my velocity was going to get back up because I was at the 89-90 range. And with the surgery I had, they didn't feel it was going to get back up. And with my age being, I think I was like 33, going to be 34, they didn't feel that okay. it was going to get stronger. Okay. So then you, did you stay in AAA with Houston, with the Houston organization? No, they, they, were, they had released me because they originally signed because they wanted me in the big leagues. Okay. And at my age and with my surgery, they said, no, you know, we're not, we're not going to keep in AAA because they felt I was still fresh from the surgery. It hadn't even been two years yet. And they felt that my shoulder wouldn't hold up with the kind of surgery I had, rotated cuff labor. They said nobody comes back from this where they used to be. So they didn't feel it was going to hold up with the workload that they expected from me. And they didn't originally sign me for AAA. Even though I signed a AAA and big league contract, their goal for me was to put me in the big leagues. And that was... You know that was the thing i was supposed yeah. to be a relief pitcher in the big leagues that you know can spot start or spot close if needed and they didn't feel you know with my age and my shoulder putting me in triple a they thought i was going to get hurt or you know re-injure the injury okay all right i guess yeah man that's a bummer though huh? <laughs> so close yeah it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot uh, so looking forward now or at least looking to current day um yeah if a player goes over to play in Taiwan, or even if you can speak to Korea as well, yeah. what kind of money might they expect? Well, right now, and, and this is where, where currently as well, I, I also just signed on with the MLB agency, an agent who works with, you know, has their agency uh, to represent players, to help represent players and get them over to Japan, Taiwan, or Korea. Awesome. So I've been in contact with team all the teams in Taiwan, uh, all the teams in Japan, again, and then a couple teams in Korea, because I don't really know them much. So I'm, I'm getting to learn to know them, like the general managers, the directors of international scoutings. And, and I have some relationships with them now. So I want to say, you know, currently in Taiwan, some of those guys are in the 200 to $300,000 range okay. um, wow. for the season. There's one guy that's probably in the $600,000 range and I think he's the highest paid but okay. he also played in Japan okay so I think he's the highest paid but I want to say I want to say you can realistically in the two two to four hundred thousand dollar range is what you can make in Taiwan maybe starting out at like the 200 but if you do well and play some years over there you can probably get up to like the 350 400 000 okay range do Depends they usually the too. do they usually is it usually just just the money or is there usually housing or whatever for imports as well no 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 they they usually they usually provide you with like you know place to live you know transportation you know they have like team buses and usually have like like when i was in taiwan you know they paid for our housing and stuff like that we had like our own apartment we had a scooter and all that kind of stuff. My third year, I had switched teams in Taiwan, so they had actually like a whole apartment building for the team. Oh, so wow. we had our own, yeah, we had our own apartment. That's awesome. Yeah, so you know, we had we had like they had a whole apartment building, so all the players lived in there. And then you know, like the the basement area, they had like a gym for us to work out in. And that is um, so, so sweet. Yeah, so there was like a team bus that would take us from the apartment to the field, back to the apartments, to the games, you know, so it was, it was really a good deal. Did and the fans Japan, know about this house? No, they they really didn't know. Um, they tried to keep it quiet. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, because otherwise, then you would have fans downstairs yeah. constantly, even though it was gated, you know, gated. But, you know, you know, you know want like you know like when we went to go eat and stuff like that you don't want to have like so many people yeah. you know like around where you're trying to live you know what i mean so 
yeah. even when the bus would pull out of the stadium, we would take a different route back so that, you know, so, you know, just in case if somebody was following us or something like that. So it was a little, and it was, you know, like 20 minutes or so from the field. So, you know, it was a good ride. You know, it wasn't too far, but it wasn't too close. Um, and it worked out really good. The apartments were great. Japan is the same way. You know, they took care of us. You know, they take care of the players, uh, foreign players with, you know, a place to live. We had a car. You know, it was, it's great. And Korea, I think they do the same for the foreign players as well. And Korea's money is, that money is pretty good over there. Um, really? You get some of the, some of those players making over a million bucks a year. Yeah. And then Japan is the number one with money. I mean, now from the time that I was there, you know, my, my biggest contract was 1.5, but I was also on a low end paying team. And at that time, you know, there was... The money just started growing and now i mean there's guys making four or five million dollars a year so why would a triple a I, I guess i have a guess the reason a triple a player would stay and get maybe the ten thousand dollars a month is for the potential to play in the majors but if that really started to look like you might just be settling in a triple a does it make a lot of sense just to go over and try out in japan or in south korea well it does but that you can't if you're under contract so like if you're if you're under contract with the organization you can't just go try out for somebody you know what i mean um but all the teams in taiwan korea and japan they all have scouts here so these guys are scouted if you're playing triple a baseball you're scouted if you're playing mlb baseball you're scouted plus if um all the major league teams in the united states here have agreements with teams overseas so like japan the nippon ham fighters when i played for them they had a working agreement with the yankees Okay. Um, which was really cool because they would get reports every day. So Willie Randolph was able to follow how it was doing, you know, because oh. he, he had the reports. Mm -hmm. And then what happens, the Yankees dropped the agreement with the fighters, signed an agreement with the Yomori Giants because they want they got they wanted to get, be the end to get Hideki Matsui. And that's how they got Hideki Matsui. Interesting. And then so we had signed one with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I believe now the Nippon Ham fighters have an agreement with the San Diego Padres. So if there is a player that let's say the fighter scout here in the united states just so happens to not have seen or reported on um they use the major league scouts so they'll contact san diego and use the major league scouting department with san diego and say hey we need reports on these players and then you know what i mean so they're in sync yeah. with everything so it's not easy for a guy that's triple a big leagues yeah let me just go to to japan and play i mean the, the guys that can kind of do that on their own uh adam jones who went over there this year with the oryx buffaloes Okay. You know, once he decided that he wanted to go, you know, it's a little easier because he's more of an established big leaguer. He's sure. still good. Triple A guys, it's a little tough because they want guys usually with major league experience. So, hmm. you know, they still do their homework. You know what I yeah. mean? So like, like for instance, you know, I, I've been in contact before the whole virus spread issue and, and there was a team in Japan. I won't name them because they're still currently doing things. That's fine. But they had a foreign player that had gotten hurt. So they had contacted me about two of my players. And, you know, we're close to getting them over there. And we were in discussions, but then the whole virus thing happened. Okay. But the thing is, the player that I have, one of them was with the organization here. And he uh, he actually has an out in his contract that if he gets an offer from a team overseas, he can choose to leave. And he's a guy that was in the big leagues for a couple years. He's in AAA now. And the reason he's in AAA is because the, he's behind some of the big league guys as, as more of the backup. So he's a perfect okay. candidate to go over there. Major league experience, playing AAA. He's in, he's in that 27-year-old to 30-year-old range where they'll still sign those guys. Okay. But they, they do their homework. You know what I mean? So it's every player here 
that's in AAA has a little big league time. They all want to go overseas now. They all want to go to Japan, Korea, or Taiwan. But the spots are limited over there. Yeah. So it's and they all think that they're good enough to play over there. Oh, I'm without sure. even without even understanding the level of play and that's why my next question I was afraid it might be like lowballing a little bit but it is it is it a place to retire or is that undershooting the talent no no that's undershooting the talent for sure I know older older players old school like I want to say like late 80s early 90s it was almost like when players contracts got sold to Japan or they wound up going to Japan. It was like, it was like they were just like forgotten about. Okay. You know, back then it was it was kind of you know why am I here? And sure. they're trying to play to to work their way back to the United States. Which some guys did. You know, Cecil Fielder went over there. Um, he did well, and then he came back here and he became a bigger superstar. You know, so there are guys that do that. And and that era back then it was you know guys were miserable. A lot of guys were miserable. And I wouldn't say all of them, but a lot of them were miserable because they felt it was just like they're going over there and their career is over and then i want to i want to say right about the time that i was there 2000 early 2000s to mid 2000s i want to say that was probably the biggest shift in japan ichiro came over 2001 then hideki matsui so the japan baseball started getting more popular because they were like well who are these guys you know and um so sure. it got more attention the the mets and i believe it was the mets and somebody else opened up their series in 2000 in japan so it started getting really really more attractive for people to want to go over there at that time period and you had you had guys like tony tarasco dave nielsen you had some some of the bigger names over here or guys that were all-stars here now starting to go to japan then you had the ichiro's matsui's that dice gaze and those guys starting to come here so the interest started peaking more and the talent level just skyrocketed in japan i mean you, you had guys that were just hitting you know great great hitters great pitchers a lot of them could have came over here but they were stuck you know like Hideki Matsui Ichiro they all went through the posting system but they all went through after they already played a lot of years so then you know you started seeing more guys come over <clears throat> Kenji Jojima the one hitter Nakamura with the Dodgers and then more pitchers started coming over and then Darvish got bought out Otani got bought out so now it's attractive to go to Japan and the level of play in Japan is basically considered like the big leagues. Okay. So Carlos, one thing we'd like to ask everybody, cause our whole goal is kind of to help athletes and fans know yeah. more about these opportunities. So from your perspective, do you, would you say that opportunities to play baseball in Asia is, or could use more publicity and, and news and help for these young athletes? Or do you think the information is, is out there enough for them? I think the information is out there. It it might not necessarily be mainstream as much. You know, you're not you're not really seeing you know, when baseball is played, you're not seeing much of the Japan focus or Taiwan focus or Korea focus as much. So but within the, the ranks of the actual players, everybody knows about Japan, Korea and Taiwan. And they're well aware of all the scouts from those teams that watch all the games over here. Um, so like if you're a triple-A guy or, or a big league guy that has a cup of coffee or something like that, you, you know when the scouts from the Japan teams are at your game and they're noticing them and they everybody wants to get to Japan, Taiwan, or Korea more so now. So you have more. Now here's the tricky part is, you know, when guys are under contract, it's a little harder sure. because they really have to be good if the team in Japan is going to try to buy them out of their contract. Now, Alex Cabrera, a big time home run hitter in Japan, he was bought out. So like when he was... We actually played together in Taiwan. I went to Japan, he went to the Diamondbacks. He started single A, got the double A, got the triple A, 
and then he got up, called up to the big leagues and and for that year overall he he hit like over 70 home runs combined with single a double a triple a and the big leagues so the sable lions bought his contract out for like a million bucks so they paid the diamondbacks a million bucks to to get him over to japan so they will do things like that if you're under contract, but if you're a player that's under contract, it's not like you have a choice, you know, to to sit there and say, well, I'm going to go to Japan. Sure. You know, the, you know, they might tell the team or their agents, hey, I want to go to Japan. And, you know, the agents or, or, or stuff like that can try to work on it so that if if they know, like at the end of the season, they're, they're going to become free agents, then they can possibly work on it. So when they become a free agent, they could try to go to Japan. Can an athlete before signing and everything, talk with your agent going, look, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I would like the option to be able to go over and play if the opportunity yes. comes up. But would that be dumb though? Would it send a bad message to the MLB team you're signing with or the organization you're signing with? Not really. It's it's not really, it, it's all how it's presented. So, you know, for instance, the one player that I had mentioned has an out in his contract yeah. overseas. Well, he was, he was still bound to the contract they had with the organization, but he, you know, talk to them and say, hey, you know, I, I feel like, you know, if there's an opportunity that my agent can get me to go play in, you know, Japan or, or Korea or Taiwan, um, he goes, I would like the option to go. Now, he's an established player. You know, he has some big league time. So okay. he's in a little different situation than, let's say, a new guy okay. that just got called up or, or is with an organization for like two years or so. So the organization wrote in his, his, his newer contract that he signed at that time that, okay, well, if, if you give us a, a legit, legitimate sign uh, or legitimate offered contract from a team in Japan, Taiwan, or Korea, he goes, there's two options. He either has to get called up to the big leagues right then and there, and, and they can keep him, or he has the decision. He can make the decision if he wants to go overseas. I see. Now, that's something that players can try to do with organizations. Now, obviously, everybody's different. You know, every organization is different. Every general manager is different. I'm sure some of them would allow it to players that that may be like, you know, guys that they think might only be with the organization for a couple of years. But, I, you know, when it comes to like some of the superstar type players, that might be a little different, you know. Sure. And, and then that also comes down to the agent and, you know, the team and their relationship to be able to to get that language written in their contract. Not, not many guys would even try to even think to do it you know they, they would just think i'm with an organization i have two more years left and i become free as opposed to going to the organization and saying hey if i get an offer you know before i become a free agent you know i would like to take it you know or or something you know what i mean sure so always something to keep at least in the back of your mind maybe talking with your agent about it and seeing how they should go about that if the opportunity should arise Yes, absolutely. Because you don't, you know, everybody's in a different situation. If you got a kid that, you know, that some of the players know if, if they're AAA, they get called up to the big leagues and then they get sent back down to AAA. I mean, they kind of know where they're at. Sure. You know, they, and they, they, you know, they know if there's younger guys in the organization that are going to mm -hmm. get more opportunities than them. And, you know, so they'll kind of know what their situation. I mean, I have one guy right now, he's coming off an injury and well, obviously now there's no baseball going on, but you know, he was going to try to get healthy and he's he's free at the end of the contract this year. So he's the kind of guy that, you know, I can try to shop around, you know, the teams in Japan or Taiwan or Korea and let them know that, hey, he's free in the off season. Hmm. So scout him, make sure he's healthy, make sure he's something you like. And if you like him, you know, I can talk to him. And then instead of him signing with a, a free agent team here in America, he can go somewhere else. So those guys are the guys that are 
that are in good positions that, you know, they know they're coming up. This might be their last year and then they become free. And instead of testing the free agent market, you know, you try to get them overseas. Awesome. Carlos, is there anything you think you, we need to add that we didn't cover either about what you're doing now or your story playing a baseball out in Asia? Um, well, I, I think maybe the one thing, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm representing players now with the major league agent, but I also, I also was very, um, very active in co-founding the Japan Retired Foreign Players Association, which is is basically um, me and another guy, William Brooks. We we talked a little bit, and and there was another another pitcher. He he passed away. His last name was was Bach. I think it was Bach. He was an older guy that that won like a hundred games with the Henshin Tigers in Japan. And um, we we kind of started this to help all the past foreign players reconnect in Japan with teams and and the fans through video games through coaching and i wound up getting to at least the independent level um to finish the season last year as a pitching coach Uh, yeah so that was that was that's where i kind of my direction i want to kind of eventually go is to be a coach you know in taiwan japan and korea and and i got there at the independent level through a lot of hard work and and it's it's a little harder as as a coach than it is a player but it happened so i was very successful in that and you know i I reconnect players at the past foreign players with more opportunities to do things in japan autograph shows baseball cards Uh, we have a lot of things that we we have going on hopefully that can start back up again when baseball starts Awesome. That that's exciting. We're gonna keep an eye at, with anybody we ever interview. We always keep a special eye on to see where they go. So we're excited about that. And you being the first international baseball interview, that's exciting too. So that's really cool that you have that program going and trying to keep them connected with their their time in Japan. So awesome, Carlos. Thank you very much for the time and the interview. Oh, I appreciate it. I can't thank you enough. Thanks, man. See ya. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. I hope you all enjoyed that. I hope you found it helpful if you're an athlete or interesting if you're a fan. Carlos really ran the gamut on all the information he had for you, which was great. Like I said in the beginning, he he was able to talk contracts and specific contracts and atmosphere and what it was like and perks and all this other good stuff. So he has so much to talk about, which was so great and so helpful. And I hope also, like I just said, interesting. For some of you fans that may not have known I, I was serious when i told him that baseball in japan has been on my list it looks so awesome and just and even playoff baseball in japan that would be insane so it definitely is on my list i hope maybe you can add it to yours as well as something if you ever get the chance to do maybe you hit all the major league stadiums here first and then you go and check out a game in tokyo that sounds pretty awesome to me so it's definitely on my list i hope you enjoyed it i hope you learned a lot You'll notice, I I asked him again at the end and I said, like I try to do with everybody, do you think this is something that is, doesn't have a lot of information about it? And he actually said, you heard him say, not really. He did say, you know, the more you're in the business, the more you'll know about it. So we might be able to infer that the more you're out of the business or maybe the earlier you are in the business, you might be unaware. So I do think that this is going to be really helpful for some of you young athletes out there or maybe some of you older ones that still don't know about baseball over there or maybe specifically what it looks like and what those opportunities look like. But he did say, you know, the longer you've been in in the business, the more it's going to become familiar to you. And it really doesn't surprise me when you look at baseball outside of the United States, number one definitely is Tokyo. That's like, you know, talking to somebody playing basketball and saying, hey, if you couldn't play NBA here, do you know anything about Euroball? Do you know anything about the Chinese league? Probably Euroball first. Do you know anything about Euroball? They're going to go, yeah, I know about the Euro League. 
of course I know about the EuroLeague. But what's kind of different with baseball and basketball is maybe you're starting to realize is basketball, there's like a billion leagues. <laughs> baseball, there's not quite as, there's not nearly that many, right? And so you start going outside of the United States and a lot of them are decently well-known. You have Japanese baseball, you have Taiwanese baseball, Korean baseball, like he was talking about. But then we also get into a different world of Australian baseball, which encompasses a team in New Zealand. And you get guys like Delman Young, who's out there kind of wrapping up, playing out there in Australia. Sorry, Delman, if you're playing, I'm sure you're not wrapping up your season. You're just getting warmed up to get going back in the majors again. But you have that world. You obviously have leagues in Latin and South America, less covered but again it's not the same world as what we're looking at when we when we look at basketball where they're all over the place all over the place and we and, and now all of a sudden we have the three-on-three -three world that that's brought up and now it's so much different football american football is is kind of like the baseball world where there's a limited number you have leagues and, and some european countries and but then we get ones that hopefully blow your mind like our episode a couple weeks ago now with uh, Shaq Wallen playing football out in in Brazil I hope you didn't know about Brazil before us that's our goal and so even if, what I'm trying to say is even if you were aware of baseball out in Japan South Korea Taiwan I hope you learn a little something because we may not be introducing you to a new league but I hope we're giving you new valuable information on a league you may have already known about our mission at Globally Ballin' has always been to promote leagues, spotlight teams, and opportunities, and tell players' stories. And the more we can do that for all of you, the better. So, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. Thank Carlos for his time. It was a fantastic interview. I enjoyed it, especially because it was finally the first baseball episode we got. It's about time we start bringing those in. So, I loved it. I found it wonderfully fascinating. Hope you did too. Thank you all for your time. Thank you for your support. And you will hear from us again next week. Thank you all for making it through another episode. A couple things I got a quick run through and then we'll be done. Uh, first, if you haven't already, go ahead and follow us on our different key platforms. Uh, first, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash globally Also, Instagram uh, at Globally Ballin Official, and then Twitter, at Globally Ballin. The Instagram and Twitter are by far our most active, and they're also very different content. They're actually run by different people. So go ahead and make sure you're following both of those, and they'll also both alert you for when something new is posted either in the podcast or Patreon, which I'm going to talk about in just a second. Also, um, when it comes to the Facebook account, the Facebook account seems um, less active, and we're aware of that. It's different kind of content and more is coming to the Facebook page. So you'll want to like it to make sure you're ready when a new wave of different content, which is coming soon, starts to make its way on there, which is exciting. Uh, finally, though, is the Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com and then you search globally ball and you're going to find our account $3 a month. And with that, you're going to get a, a couple of things. First, shout out to all the supporters, which is great, which is actually also really good for any of you athletes out there. It's a great way to get your name, your brand, your place where people can find your highlight tapes, all that stuff. That'll be plugged in our episodes, which is great. So if you become a patron um, for the $3 a month, you'll get that. In addition, though, what we're really kind of excited about, not that we're not excited about the other one, is that you're going to get a bunch of extra content. It's going to be different from when I originally recorded this to when you're listening to this now. We're going to keep adding to it. Uh, there's a lot of different stuff. It might just be extra stuff that didn't fit into an episode. And there's also a whole new 
um, different kind of content called Candid Conversations, which is basically a whole new show that we started. As the name suggests, it's a conversation between me and somebody else. For whatever reason, it doesn't fit into an episode. And if you go check out one of those Candid Conversations, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So that $3 a month, you're going to get your shout out and your, um, your help to support your brand or get attention to your highlight reel or whatever, plus a lot of extra detailed, fun content in addition to this free podcast. So go and check that out. Refresher, find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash globallyballin, Instagram at globallyballinofficial, Twitter at globallyballin, and uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash, or patreon.com, search globallyballin, and you'll find, do the $3 a month patron. If you're interested, get all new content, a bunch of additional content. Uh, if that's not for you, totally fine. We still really appreciate you supporting and listening. Uh, if you have any suggestions, make sure you send us a message. Again, because we're most active on Instagram and Twitter, that's the best way to send us a suggestion. We'd be happy to listen and um, and try to get anybody in that area and that sport, that country, that topic that'll help you best. So make sure you send us one of those requests. Otherwise, thank you again for listening. You'll hear from us again uh, next week.